everyone. Uh, this is season one, episode four of the Down to the Roots football podcast. I'm pleased to be joined today by Ollie Bayless, a sports journalist, football commentator, and presenter of the non-league show on BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Adam. Yeah, my, my absolute pleasure. So we're going to get started. I'm using the same icebreaker on everyone, so every uh, everyone gets the same uh, grilling. Uh, so what, growing up, what was your favorite football shirt, and did it have a name and a number on it? Oh, my favorite. My favourite football shirt, probably my, my hometown club, um, Ellsbury United, they had a season where they had the, the sort of checkered shirt, um, where they had the quarters, so green, green and white is the, the colour they, they play in, um, yeah, green and white quarters, and yeah, I got that shirt, I think, for my seventh or eighth birthday, and yeah, it was massive, miles too big for me, I think my parents thought I'd grow into it, I'm still not sure I've grown into it, but <laughs> it's, that, yeah, that was a brilliant shirt, I don't think it had a name or a number on at the back, though. I think I'd, I'd have probably wanted my own name, but I think you had to pay extra for that. So I don't think I had that. I think it, yeah, yeah. it was played on the back. But yeah, that, that shirt, I think, Aylesbury United. Well, I guess I guess you don't turn up to a JJB and get an Aylesbury United shirt and tell them to put a name and a number on it. That's not one they usually put carry numbers on. I no. my five pound and 10 pound notes to get to get the name and number on on shirts at JJB. So, um, no. so what was your uh, experience like growing up in England with football? Did you go through academies, local club teams, Sunday league? I, um, I've, I've always loved football. I've never been particularly naturally talented at football. Um, I'm more of a runner and less of a, um, a talented, talented footballer. So yeah, I played played youth football for a few different clubs in in Buckinghamshire. Um, Aston Clinton, Bedgrove Dynamos, um, Wendover. Yeah, played played youth football till I was. 16, 17, 18, something like that. And I think the, the went up to university, as a lot of people did, and went up to university and tried to play football at university. I think the standard was a little bit above me and beyond me. Um, so played five-a-side football um, at that point with, you know, sort of various teams and things like that. We, we have things called um, Power League and Goals and Leisure Leagues, these, these sort of five-a-side leagues. So did that. And that's still something I do actually now. I played five-a-side football, but um, that was sort of my, my end of the playing 11-a-side game. Um, at that point, unfortunately, um, I'm I'm not a terrible footballer, but I'm I'm not, I'm not an asset to, to many sort of eleven side teams. I don't think. Oh, I'm not an asset. I'm more of a detriment to anyone. Anyone <laughs> time I step on a football pitch. So, um, so can you talk a little bit about how the non-league show that you are on on BBC was begun? Are you the original host and presenter? And what is it like to cover non-league on a daily basis? I imagine it might be a bit manic. Uh, I, yeah oh it's brilliant it's brilliantly bonkers non-league football that's why we love it um the the show came back we, we're looking to expand the, the schedule at bbc three counties radio which is which is where i work it's where i work full time and they're looking to do other shows and try other things out and i think they knew that non-league football was a passion of mine and something that i've been passionate about and, and it sort of tried to cover before that really in in various other ways on the station um lucky enough that they sort of found an hour and and gave me an hour to to do that show and that sort of moved around a little bit on the the schedule and and changed formats a few times but um it's now two hours and sits on a sunday um but it's great fun it's brilliant we've got so many clubs in this this patch we we cover bedfordshire hertfordshire and buckinghamshire for, for people who don't know so three quite large counties um in england just north of london um I think we've got something like 10 or 11% of the country's non-league clubs are in this area. Um, it's sort of a real rich vein of non-league football and grassroots football. So 
every year there's some brilliant stories there's clubs that will have FA Cup runs, FA Vars, FA Trophy runs, things like that. Obviously, the last couple of seasons have been really difficult with COVID-19 and seasons that have, have stopped and started and, and been real challenges. So I think that over the last year and a half has, has made it harder to follow non-league and work out what's happening and what's going to happen with the leagues and things like that, because none of us as football fans really want leagues to be decided off the pitch and be decided by you know board meetings and and committees and votes and things like that because the season can't actually be be played um so that's been difficult in the last few years i think for, for clubs and everyone but hopefully we're going to get a full and proper season this year coming definitely so for those that might not be familiar uh can you provide a brief outline of what is considered non-league and where non-league fits into the overall football pyramid in the uk yeah, of course. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's not obvious at all. Um, actually, and for people that, I think for people who, who follow English football closely in the Premier League, probably don't necessarily always know the answer to that. So uh, the, the top of the English game, you've got the, the Premier League. So the league with your, your Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, clubs like that. Then, then you've got the three divisions below that that make up the football league. So that's the Championship, League One and League Two. Below that is is non-league. So all the divisions below that are considered non-league. And that, that starts at the, the National League, which sits below League Two and, and promotes two teams up to League Two and, and two teams from League Two come down to the National League. And then below that, you've got two leagues that are at equivalent level. So the National League North, National League South. Then it goes down to four leagues, eight leagues, 16 leagues, 17 leagues, because it's not quite symmetrical. And then it goes all the way into... Saturday football, county league football. One of the brilliant things that I love about the English non-league game is that pretty much all the leagues on a Saturday are joined up in in some way. You know, you you can be playing in you know the seventeenth or eighteenth tier of of English football on a you know in a muddy park on a on a Saturday afternoon. And in theory, if you win enough games, you you could get promoted up to the Premier League. You know, there's yeah. certain challenges over grounds and things like that, and you, you obviously. You know, you need things like floodlights to go up to a certain level to be able to play games and you know midweek when it gets dark. But in theory, if you win enough games, you can anyone can dream, anyone can get promoted all the way up to the the top level. Um, and I think the the depth of clubs and the depth of the sort of level in in this country, I think, is something that that we should be really proud of. Yeah. Yeah, I would make the argument that the non-league game has a somewhat greater level of purity and authenticity when you look at the apex. And um, I've been in a piece I wrote for Bigglesway, uh, which is the club I support, on for the newsletter, I said that the team is hyper-local. So it's of the town and perhaps more importantly for the town. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment of the non-league game? Yeah, it, it, these these clubs represent the the community. I think they, for a lot of people, I think they're what the the sort of top level clubs were probably in the the sixties, seventies, and eighties, where you know the players would have a drink in the bar after the game, and you'd know the manager, and you'd chat to the chairman at half time, and you would volunteer a little bit and and help you know paint the clubhouse uh, during the the pre season things like that. And I think to some extent the the top level of English football has gone away from that a little bit now. Um, it feels a little bit more removed from the fans and the community, I think, in some instances. Um, Non-league really still feels like the heart of the community. It's sort of the heart of the community's social life. I mean, Biggleswade, we, we've got three teams in Biggleswade. You know, Biggleswade's not a big place for people that don't know. You know, it's a, so it's a fairly sort of normal-sized town in, in Bedfordshire. There's three non-league teams representing that community, um, three non-league teams that do well. 
um, because there's so many volunteers and so many people that are passionate about football and helping out those those clubs. Um, yeah, non-league football is really at the heart of sort of so many um, so many local towns and, and villages and, and areas of, of cities in, in England, certainly. That's great. So, yeah, and I would think it's safe to say a large portion of uh, soccer or football fans do tend to focus on the larger top leagues in the UK and around the world. Um, what would you say to someone who has not learned about non-league yet as to why they should give non-league football a chance or check it out? For me, and I think for a lot of people, it it, it holds some of those things that that maybe the Premier League has, has lost. I think people get perhaps a bit frustrated about, you know, the VAR and the, the sort of commercialization of the, the top level of the game. And, you know, we saw this with the European Super League and the, the fact that clubs at that level are, are such a size that I don't think they have that relationship with the, the fans anymore. Um, Non-league football still does in most places. It, you know, it's 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 not perfect. The, the standard is good, but it's not amazing. But, you know, you've got a referee that's making a call and making a decision and, and that's final. You, you don't have this sort of VAR, you don't have this technology. It's a lot closer to the 11-a-side game that, you know, lots of us grew up playing as as kids it's it's far close to that and it's players that are playing the game for the love of it they're not playing for money there, there is no big money really in most of non-league they're playing because they enjoy playing the sport they want to play quite often with with their mates or people they like or also you know their teammates and they've got other day jobs they've got other things they're juggling you know lots of them on tuesday night will have already worked a, a day as a teacher or a personal trainer or a plumber and then they're getting in the car and they're getting off to a to a game and they're they're spending their evenings playing football for the the love of it yeah no i think that's that's very true so what um would you say are the biggest challenges that non-league clubs face in their day-to-day operations in terms of football and operations behind the scenes and likewise what would you say are the two or three biggest challenges the non-league game in the uk faces overall I think um, volunteers is always a challenge. I, all these clubs run on, they run on volunteers. They run on people who are willing to give up their time to do all the bits you don't see. You know, a lot of fans will turn up for 90 minutes and support their, their local team and that's great. And we'll, we'll pay £10 to get in and, and buy a drink and all of that supports the club. But all the bits that go on behind the scenes, all of the, the kind of the, the admin and the worrying about fixtures, worrying about health and safety, worrying about insurance, worrying about player registration, all the bits that go on behind the scenes, washing the kit, all, you know, all of that stuff um, is absolutely crucial because if you don't have people that are willing to do that, that, that's why clubs fold, really. Clubs don't fold because there aren't players that want to play for them. Clubs don't fold because there aren't fans turning up. Clubs fold because the people who are behind the scenes just you know, either don't have the time or don't have the love for it or, you know, feel like it's a bit of a thankless task at times. You know, there are people who dedicate years and years of their lives to it and probably don't get thanked enough. So I think the biggest risk is that, you know, we run out of volunteers. We run out of people who are willing to give up their time to to help run these clubs. Um, another risk is is money. Financially, it's it's really hard to to run a club. You know, it's hard to maintain a ground. Lots of clubs pay to to lease grounds they, they pay to share grounds they, they pay councils to you know use grounds and rent things like that bills um you know utility bills as well to keep the, the electric on to, to keep the water running all that kind of stuff all adds up and we've certainly seen it in the last year and a half without 
fans coming in regularly, you, you don't always have that income and the money runs out very quickly in non-league. Um, so I think a shortage of, of finances is, is again, a big challenge for non-league football. And I think it, it always is. Have they, um, I remember a few years ago listening to some other non-league shows, um, travel was a big concern for clubs. Have they sorted that uh, for, for non-league teams with realignments and the, because there was a move to realign pyramids and this and ge- geographical. So clubs not traveling four hours up on a Tuesday night and then coming back because they got to work Wednesday morning. Have they managed to sort that at all? Depends which club you, you ask. The The short answer is yes. For most clubs, it's 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 better now. Um, they, they have done that. So they, they've restructured the, the pyramid and they've added extra leagues at the, the third level of non-league, the fourth level of non-league, the fifth level of non-league has had extra leagues added. And if you add extra leagues, then naturally they become a little closer together. They become a little better um, and more regionalised, which, yeah, is massively helpful for clubs because, as you said, the travel... The travel becomes really expensive for one thing to, to pay to get players to and from places and, and overnight stays and all that sort of stuff becomes really expensive so it all it all feeds into the the cost of non-league and fans not wanting to sort of make those journeys um so it's got better for some they have as part of that removed some of the leagues at the sixth level of non-league football to try and create this perfect pyramid of of one two four eight sixteen sixteen is the aim to make it kind of all work um uh, it used to be 20 at that level. It's now 17. So there, there are less leagues at that level. Um, so for some clubs, it's become harder. Um, you know, Biggleswade FC's neighbour, Biggleswade United, play at the fifth level of non-league football. And whilst they've added leagues at that level, the way they've rejigged it has meant that actually they've been moved into a league now that where there's more travel for them than there would have been the year before. So there's always winners and losers and there's always teams that are, that are unhappy about it. But to an extent, that's I think that's always going to happen because... The FA get a list of, you know, 300 odd teams that play at that level and they've got to sort them out into different leagues. And that's that's not always an easy thing. Um, but as a very long answer to what was quite a oh, well, <laughs> straightforward question I, from yourself, they, they've sort of sorted it, but it's still not perfect. Yeah, because and then like for someone, I mean, obviously they, they are local to towns or areas or regions. So like how difficult, I know Biggleswade, FC is relatively new. They found it in 2016, so this is year five. But how difficult is it to go from like a five a Sunday league team to like a non-league club? I mean, I imagine money is a lot of it, and then applying to the FA to be added. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of examples of teams that have have done it and done it in a fairly short space of time um it's a team called fc romania that are, are were founded sort of by romanian migrants that were working in and around london that wanted to play a football team and they they started playing on a sunday morning on hackney marshes in in the middle of london um applied to join a sort of a, a saturday league at a really low level um one games got promoted and now they're in in step four the the equivalent of biggleswade fc's level and they've gone up I think that's in the course of about 10, 11 years. They, they've, they've probably gone up sort of, well, probably 10, 11 levels almost, if you consider it from a Sunday morning. So, yeah, it's very possible. And I think they're fairly committed to not really paying players very much of anything. 
um and ground sharing all the way so yeah you know it can be done it's you need a little bit of money you need a little bit of money to be able to do it or a big support um hashtag united are another example of a club that have done that in a, a slightly different way they were a an esports team sort of a big movement on on youtube um formed a football team to play charity matches then decided to enter the the men's pyramid and and joined it at step six and have, have been promoted twice and now are playing the same level as Biggleswade fc as well and they've, they've done that in three or four years so yeah there's, there's plenty of clubs that that do it and are able to do it yeah you know i think it, it comes to mind now we've been largely focusing and my fault for doing this focusing on the men's game and non-league is there a a women's non-league movement in the uk and could you talk maybe a little bit about that yeah there absolutely absolutely is and it, it well it's the same as the men's right there's a really good and deep um women's football pyramid in this country it's it's still perhaps slightly in its infancy you know in the grand scheme of things uh, you know women's football in this country was was banned it was illegal for, for decades and decades and decades you know it's only in the last sort of uh, well 30 40 years um the women have played this sport in you know in in a sort of a wide sense um so the there's still challenges over sort of promotions and relegations in the women's pyramid as you know teams are, are often promoted based on having the facilities and the resources to be able to sort of support a team in the league above and teams don't always want to get promoted because to get promoted you've got to start paying players or you've got to hire a semi-professional manager things like that um so it isn't quite the sort of pure promotion and relegation that, that the men's game mostly is, but it, it's getting there. It's improving. Um, I think it's good to see it's good to see women's teams in their own right as well. I think sometimes there's a bit of a risk when a women's team is tied to a men's side. That unfortunately sometimes we've seen it where things become a bit tight and financially difficult. The, the women's side is sometimes the the first thing to sort of get cut or to go when the the sort of men's side start running out of money so I think that's always a risky position to be in however there are some sides that have been formed off the back of men's side that seem to be doing really well and, and flourishing so I think, don't think it's a hard and fast rule um but yeah there's, there's there's leagues and leagues and leagues of of women's football in this country as well that's great so um for those that might not be aware probably most of my listeners uh so non-league clubs at a certain level compete in the preliminary rounds at least of the FA Cup so what uh, can a decent cup run mean for a non-league club? And likewise, what could a solid performance in the FA Vase or trophy mean? Yeah, so for people who, who don't know, the FA Cup is, is, is obviously the, the sort of lead domestic competition in, in England. It's the one that Leicester won last season and that the Premier League teams join after Christmas, but actually the competition starts at the the beginning of August with lots of the the much smaller non-league teams in the the sort of tenth tier of English football and and upwards. And a good cup run can you know can be worth half a million or a million pounds to to clubs. You know, not only is prize money quite good. If you go through a couple of rounds, you start becoming the the, the sort of TV choice. And and once the the broadcasters want to show a game or two. That you're involved in that brings with it some money as well um if you can get a you know a draw against one of the big premier league teams then the fa have a rule where you have to share the you have to share the revenue 50 50 between the two teams that that play it so all the the ticket money if you're a small non-league team and you get a 
draw away against Man United, if you can get that far into the competition, suddenly looking at 60,000 people paying, what, 40, 50 pound a ticket, you know, you take home half of that money. It's, it's massive for clubs. Um, and it's, it's something that I think all non-league clubs look forward to being a part of and, and taking part in. You know, you're only ever a couple of wins away from being that sort of big news story and putting yourself in the, in the spotlight. Um, the FA Trophy is for, like the FA Cup, but just for non-league teams. Um, so non-league teams in the top four levels of non-league football. And, and similarly, there's there's a bit of money in there. There's a bit of prestige. I think you have to get through a bit further in the competition before you start seeing the sort of financial benefits of that. Um, and the FA Vars is a competition for clubs in the fifth and sixth tier of non-league football, so the smaller non-league teams and and again you know you, you get to the final of that you, you play it at Wembley you get uh, lots of ticket money you get on TV you know sponsorship things like that there's there's good finances if you can do well in that as well where was it um Arsenal came to a club like two or three years ago didn't they they had to play in a way match at a non-league club on a very small ground in the middle of a city um, who was that club that Arsenal played? I, I cannot remember off the top of my it head. Was, it was Sutton United, I think you're thinking uh, yeah, of. Yeah. They, I it. think they played Lincoln City and Sutton in that season. Um, both clubs actually have subsequently gone and got promoted into the Football League since then. Um, so neither are now non-league clubs. Um, yeah, Arsenal played played away against Sutton United and it was it, it's, you could have a, a artificial pitch in non-league football in in England but not in the football league the football league so you have to have a grass pitch and Sutton United got promoted this last season gone and have had to rip up their artificial pitch and replace it with grass over the summer to to be able to progress and and get promoted I think it's perhaps feels a little bit of an old-fashioned rule now um, in this country when you look at you know Champions League games that take place on on artificial pitches you know women's world cup games play on artificial pitches i know you know in america there's plenty of artificial surfaces that are well used in this country we i think we had a bad experience of them back in the sort of 80s when a few clubs used them in their early days when they were really bouncy and and you know didn't feel like sort of a true surface i think they've come on quite a long way since that's like uh, what they call 3g right or i guess now that's the that's the fancy word for it yeah, exactly that 3G. I think we had, I think they have, we had 1G back in the uh, back in the 80s with early 90s with yeah clubs like Luton Town with sort of a really really bouncy pitch. Yeah, so I think you've kind of touched on it now. So um, you know, w- with promotion and relegation, I know there are financial awards and consequences for these clubs. Um, so what happens if a club gets promoted and they are unable to have the financial resources to change up their ground or or fall in line with the expectations of the FA do they lose out on their promotion the FA have um, fairly recently changed the rule on this so it used to be that if you finished at the top of the league but you didn't want to apply for promotion so you didn't want to put in the extra you know sometimes you have to put an extra 100 seats something like that to get promoted sometimes you have to do you know bits and pieces a second turn style things like that you have to normally improve your facilities to reach a certain sort of grading they used to say if you don't want to apply for promotion fine we'll we'll let the team in second or third get promoted um the fa have now introduced compulsory promotion where you actually don't get a choice um you have to go up and you have to meet that grading otherwise eventually you you sort of get kicked back down but the idea is to try and 
uh, I think without wanting to speak for the FA to try and sort of increase the, I think the integrity of the the competition and make it, you know, much closer to sort of the, the higher level of the game where the winners of leagues get promoted and, you know, teams towards the bottom get relegated. Um, and there's plenty of sort of funding teams can apply to try and improve their facilities. So the idea is to try and help teams do that. Um, in some ways it's improved the, the sport i think in in other ways you do see teams that are doing well that can't really afford promotion that will you know for some reason get rid of their their manager and half their players in march if their you know chairman's worried about them getting promoted and they can't really afford it you do see sort of you know weird things like that every now and then which is which is not so ideal but what you don't have is the end of the season is the the team that finishes fourth actually getting promoted because the other three teams you know can't afford to or or don't want to so I know there have been uh, cases, and I think uh, people in the past few years uh, where non-league players have made it through to the larger stages. I think the the example that most people might think do is like Jamie Vardy making it through to be a massive uh, goal scorer in the Premier League. And it was, it was Fleetwood Town, I think, that he had started at. And then thanks to your Twitter feed, was that Jordan Pickford and Casper Schmeichel had played for Darlington. So if you were asked by a footballer, if they should give non-league a chance, what would you say? Yeah, I think for, for, for loads of people, I mean, you just named some there. It, it, it yeah. gives players, you know, really good and real experience of playing, playing the senior game. Um, I, I think a lot of young players sort of are, are in academies and they're, they're first quite often their first sort of real taste of proper men's senior football is when they get to 21 22 sometimes and by that point it's a little bit late to develop sometimes and you know they realize that they're they're not physically at the standard they need to be to compete sometimes um so i think you know those loan moves to non-league clubs can be really beneficial and what we also see in non-league is players that get released by the premier league academies at 16 17 18 that go and play non-league football and work their way back up the the pyramid you know it's it's great sort of meritocracy football if you if you're a striker and you get released by a club well you'll find somebody you can you can join and if you're scoring two goals a game someone else two leagues above will have a look at you and try and sign you and if you score two goals a game for them someone two leagues above you will try and sign you and very quickly you you know you move back up the pyramid people people who play well in non-league you know don't stay in non-league for long there's there's great examples of all sorts of players i mean shay adams a player who's, who's represented scotland in the euros in the last month was four or five years ago playing in the united counties division one in the sixth tier of non-league football wow. um you know the, the standard is really not that different and these players can develop and learn the game and if they can stand out at that level they get spotted and and you know someone else signs them there, there aren't really any sort of secret hidden gems in non-league football anymore the, the scouts are watching players really closely yeah i mean i guess if you can play football you can play football and certain one one way or the other if you're good enough someone will find you so whether you find them or not and the non-league club will snap you up and give you a small contract and give you a chance at your professional um development so yeah absolutely there's non-league clubs have been watched really really closely by scouts there there isn't a, there isn't a non-league player that you know professional club hasn't had a look at one point or another or hasn't sent a scout to their, their gate you know these, these players have been watched all the time and if they've got anything about them 
uh, clubs approach them and have a look at them and, and sign them and they you know move up the divisions yeah anything anything else about non-league that uh that i think you we might find interesting from uh pers- from a perspective that we haven't covered yet i think it's going to be interesting to see how many fans come back when we get back to going this season because there's been so many challenges over the last 16 months there's really only been a couple of months where fans could go to non-league football and and that's not even been in all the divisions um due to the pandemic and due to the you know the rules in this country it's going to be really interesting to see whether people have really missed it and we see you know increased crowds and and people coming back in their hundreds and thousands or whether people have got out of the habit of it and have you know started gardening or find something else to do on a Saturday afternoon and have, have lost the love for it and I, I really hope it's the first one you know I really hope that people have really missed it and are going to come back in their their hundreds to watch non-league football but I think the first couple of months of this season are going to be really interesting to see you know what level of support there still is out there for non-league football I, I hope sort of in its absence people have, have really missed it but it'll be interesting to see. Will there be a non-league day this year? Like there have been in years past. Yeah, I'd hope so. They they cancelled it last year because because you couldn't really have fans in most grounds on that date, and it, where you could, there was limited capacity. So I think if, if the government continues its plan to remove all restrictions, well, it's week Monday, nineteenth of July in this country, all legal restrictions pretty much are are removed. So clubs can have full capacity, and there's there's sort of no. Uh, no social distancing or force limits um if that goes ahead and it's still in place it's normally in october i think non-league day and that first international break um that i'd imagine it'll go ahead there's there's no reason it won't yeah oh, i think i um from your perspective to to kind of tie things up here from your perspective as a commentator do you have a favorite ground to call match from and what are some of the top matches you've seen from the box I've seen I've seen games at sort of almost all all levels in in all grounds really, and they're all they're all a bit different. You know, I've I've done cup finals at Wembley. I've done you know games in the sort of latter stages of the FA Cup or in the Championship. Um, uh, down to covering non-league football and you know games in the FA Trophy. Um, I think what I'd say is is if you can commentate on a game at non-league, you you can certainly commentate at a game in the the Premier League that non-league is a lot more challenging in a lot of you know different ways there aren't there aren't squad numbers you know so you can't do research and work out who number 17 is going to be because it depends on who the you know the manager picks on that saturday as to who gets that shirt um you can't do the research on the players in the same way you can for for top level games you know these players don't all have wikipedia pages each things like that they, they haven't got names on the back of their shirts um formations are a little bit fluid at the best of times and you've got no way of, of knowing what that's going to be. You, you know, quite often you don't even get a team sheet and you're commentating at ground level normally, or even at the top of the standard non-league football, quite often you're about four rows up. It's, it's a lot, there's a lot more challenges in commentating non-league football, but it's, it's challenges that I love. And, you know, it's the reason that we, we love the game at, at that level. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Ollie. I definitely appreciate you enlightening us on the, slings and arrows of the non-league game and figuring out uh, why we should all be watching a little more closely. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Really enjoyed it, Adam.